Hello, everyone, and welcome to Prevent That, a podcast brought to you by the Prevention Resource Center, Region 3. The Prevention Resource Center serves as the Central Data Collection Repository and Substance Misuse Prevention Training Liaison for Texas Health and Human Services Commission, Region 3. PRC3 is housed at Recovery Resource Council in Dallas and serves the following 19 North Texas counties. Collin, Cook, Dallas, Denton, Ellis, Erath, Fannin, Grayson, Hood, Hunt, Johnson, Kaufman, Navarro, Palo Pinto, Parker, Rockwall, Somerville, Tarrant, and Wise. Hello, my name is June Dybel and I am the Public Relations Coordinator with the Prevention Resource Center Region 3. And I am so happy to have uh, with us today, Kathy O'Keefe, the CEO and uh, founder of Winning the Fight, a local organization here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, Winning the Fight is a uh, resource for our community, providing drug education, support, and resources to youth and families suffering from addiction and, and the issues that surround that. Welcome, Kathy. I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, tell us a little bit about how you happened to start winning the fight, or if, if our listeners notice winning the fight is WTF. So tell us a little bit about that and about what the significance is of that WTF. Yeah, it's quite a story. So um, we started this organization because on March 20th of 2010, we lost our 18-year-old son to a drug overdose. It was basically a, an overdose of heroin and Xanax com combined, accidental drug overdose. And literally, as soon as we got in the car, because we were actually in San Antonio, as soon as we got in the car and we were all kind of lost in our own thoughts, God was just saying, you're going to do something. You have to do something. You have to do something. So it actually started at Brett's visitation when I brought in um, a, a couple of people from A and a couple of people from NA and kind of locked all the kids in with Brett. And then they kind of talked about what it's like to be in recovery and how it's so much better and, you know, one you get to live. And so from that, we knew we were going to do something. We just didn't know what that was. And then Ben and I were able to sit back and kind of say, what did we lack during Brett's chat or Brett's journey? And we came up with three things. We came up with education. We had no education whatsoever. And we kind of, we thought that Brett had more education than he had. And we were off based on that too. He didn't really have education drug education from the schools, we just thought he did. So there was a lot of a lot of things that we lacked in education. The other thing we lacked was support. And you know, it's an ugly disease. And when you're in the midst of it, you kind of hide. It's embarrassing. People come over and you've got somebody who's high and F-bombs are flying all over the place. And so we started isolating. It was the worst thing we could do. And then the last thing is resources. And we realized that on Brett's first overdose, he actually overdosed three times and died on the third. On Brett's first overdose, she came out, they went in and evaluated him and they came out and she handed me this big packet that was probably an inch and a half deep and said, here's your resources. And you know, we're watching oxygen levels at the hospital, making sure our kid's alive. And she's handed me something that there's no way I could get through, nor did I want to at the time. So it was those three things that really made a difference. 
And then we kind of pulled all of Brett's friends together and said, okay, what do you guys need to get sober? What do you need to be in recovery? Let me be a conduit for that. And so they threw all their stuff out. And I said, what do we name it? Well, Brett was very well known for saying what the F Mm-hmm. In a very loving manner, though it was, you know, and it probably came from me screaming at him all the time on the front porch. Like, <laughs> so, so then it, at the funeral, everybody who came up and spoke—I don't know if they coordinated it or one person started it—and they just saw every person that came up and spoke ended with, and in the words of Brett O'Keefe, "What the f?" And I'm uh-huh. like, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm sitting next to the priest. I'm like. Ah! <laughs> So when it came to naming it, the kids were like WTF. And I'm like, that's not going to fly. So we ended up coming up with winning the fight and keeping the WTF. And, and it really it, is perfect. It really it, is well, perfect. It, it's perfect in so many ways. One, you remember it. But two, mm-hmm. you know, when you're on this journey, that's coming out of your mouth quite often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's funny because now it's kind of taken on a different sense. You know, we all say, what the heck? And mm-hmm. WTF. Yeah, means winning the fight, you know, nothing else that, but, um, so that's kind of how it happened. And that's why we call it WTF. Now, I know that you're in the, the Flower Mound area and you're very connected to a lot of the families there. Um, you've raised your family there and, um, but I, I know originally you were serving a lot of people in that area, but you've expanded into the Metroplex. Tell me a little bit about, um, who you serve, where you go. Um, you know, maybe, maybe what the typical day is for winning the fight in Kathy O'Keefe. Okay. So yeah, we started in Flower Mound. Um, it was quite the challenge because, you know, I started this in 2010 and 2010, there was no drugs, especially in Flower Mound. My child was the only person doing drugs in Flower Mound. So it was quite the battle getting through just getting into Flower Mound and more and more as time went by and more and more kids were on a journey, more parents were reaching out for some help because um, that's the biggest problem getting the parents to understand there's help available for you. You cannot do this on your own. So we did serve a lot of Flower Mound and we still do. Um, we have some weekly support group meetings that are actually in Flower Mound. Um, we have grief group meetings in Flower Mound. But because of the education and our, our push on education, we really focus in on our website. We focus in on or Facebook, especially social media. So if somebody will jump on and read for two minutes, they'll gain a lot of information. And a lot of people across the nation have latched onto that. We have a lot of schools and police departments that actually use our website for education as well. So that's kind of exciting. It's fun to hear a teacher from Chicago say, my kids are doing a project and they're using your website for mm-hmm. drug education. So that's really exciting. So that's kind of getting out. We're, we're serving a larger portion of the community. And from a school standpoint, um, we're serving Collin County, Denton County, Tarrant County, and things like that, as well as some of the court programs for adolescents in all of those areas. But we, you know, people call me from Florida and need help. And it's just a matter of finding what they need um, as to where they need it. And it's just a research. And you offer a very understanding ear, so I can understand why people would seek you out. Well, and one of the things that we have is my phone is on 24-7. It was something that I just thought everybody needs. You know, if you Mm -hmm. need help at three o'clock in the morning, you get help at three o'clock in the morning. And so my my phone's on and we get the hard calls, but then we get the kind of, you know, when I whenever I do a school and I give all the kids my phone number, 
um, all of a sudden I'm like, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, I'll answer, but I'd rather text <laughs> and they'll be like, Hey, how you doing? Oh, that's, that's funny. <laughs> it's just but, what it is. But when they do absolutely need you, they're going to feel free to, to call that number. So that's really good. Yeah, now, good. now I'm assuming when you mentioned that your kid was the only kid in Flower Mound and that, that, you know, that this was facetious because this is one of the things that we have seen is that certain communities will say, oh, well, we don't have that problem or families or schools or churches even will say, oh, no, 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 not our kids. And um, but there's a certain stigma and, and families don't um, they don't publicize the fact that, hey, we've got this big problem going on. And yet um, it is there. It does exist. So I know that that in your education, some of that is building awareness that, hey, this is in your neighborhood, this is in your church, this is in your school. How are you finding that that doors are opening more and the attitudes are changing? Um, it's a very slow process um, because that opens, anybody who says I have a problem are really being vulnerable, which is what we need, but it's hard to be vulnerable and a lot of yes. people won't do that. And people don't understand the disease. They still think it's a moral issue. Like I ran mm -hmm. into a woman the other day who quietly in my ear was like, my daughter is an addict. I understand. And I'm like, you shouldn't be embarrassed. And she was like looking around trying to see if anybody heard us. And, you know, I, I'm proud of Brett. What, I mean, there were plenty of times I wasn't, don't get me wrong, that I'm proud of him fighting. I'm proud of him um, struggling with a disease and choosing to fight instead of giving in all the time. Um, it's a very difficult disease. It's difficult for everybody. You know, the person's going through difficulties, but the entire family and all the people involved with that person, it's a family disease and they suffer. Everybody suffers from it. Um, and I think that as we're kind of tying more addiction in, most people substance use because of something. It solves a problem for them. Mm -hmm. It's a solution to a problem for them. So when you sit back and you look at the mental health, if you have anxiety or if you have depression, and a lot of our kids are smoking pot to start with, and you know it makes me feel better. Well, it does until it doesn't, until the, the high wears off, and then it gets worse, it exasperates the problem. So we have to kind of focus in on mental health. If we didn't have trauma, oh my gosh, there's so much trauma out there. And that's another thing, and especially with trauma, because they want it to just go away. So using a substance that completely makes them forget about that is heaven for them. It's a mm -hmm. great solution. And then the other thing we have is genetics. And like my, uh, we have, my brother was an alcoholic and he has four kids and they struggle. And if we get that education out saying, you know what, if you have it in your history, just lay off of everything. You ha we have to teach our kids it's okay not to get high and to go ahead and let their brain and their body mature. I mean, let's face it, the brain doesn't even develop until 25. Exactly. So we can take those things and let people realize that substance use isn't a moral issue. It's a solution to those problems. Then they'll start listening and the, the stigma, stigma and all that will hopefully go away. I don't know if it actually will, but it's, it's a great hope of mine. <laughs> Well, and it's it's a, a worthwhile goal. And, you know, we may never solve um, in, in what we do and in what we do, what you do. We may never fully solve it, but gosh, you're making a difference in people's lives, you know, one at a time, two at a time. Um, 
we can't reach everybody, but we can, you know, plug away at it. So what, what is the biggest problem that you're seeing? Is it that, that stigma or that awareness, or is it, uh, tell me about some of the drug trends you're seeing. Um, we're getting a lot of fentanyl in the area, a lot of lace drugs. Um, I just came back from a DEA meeting in Washington that was really kind of interesting because um, we got a better perspective of what's happening across the nation with fentanyl. And we live in Texas, so we have a border right here. So we see something different than some of the, like Florida might see or something like that. So looking at it and hearing about what's happening with fentanyl across the board has been kind of uh, interesting and eye-opening. But one thing people aren't listening about or don't understand about fentanyl is it's not like, like Brett had a drug overdose with which I kind of laugh. Where did overdose come from? Because it's an illegal substance. There's no dose. <laughs> so where right. did he overdose on that? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the people that, the majority of the people that are, are dying because of fentanyl are not buying fentanyl. They are buying another drug that's, this is actually laced in. So they're not buying that drug. They're not buying fentanyl. They're buying maybe Percocets on the street or Xanax on the street. And they end up dying or overdosing on the fentanyl. That is not like a normal overdose. They are literally being poisoned. They are murdered by poison. And we have to start paying attention to that because this age group is basically 18 to about 50, 48 48 to 50 years old. And when you look at that, that's a couple generations of our possible military. I mean, this is not, this is scary to me. This is very, very scary. And what scares me even more is how many people have latched on to fentanyl on its own. You know, like people are actually ordering fentanyl. I've seen DEA come up and with big bags of pills and you're looking at it and it's like, well, what are, what else is in here? And he's like, just fentanyl. And I'm like, what? It just, it kills me. And because Mm -hmm. fentanyl is so small, it's hard to manufacture and get it consistently across the board. You know, it's like making chocolate chip cookies and all the chocolate chips end up in a couple and then a couple don't have any. And that's kind of how fentanyl is. It just doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not consistent. So even the drug manufacturers, um, they don't really know what's, what they're making and they're hoping for the best which is mm-hmm. really sad. And, and people never really sad, know what, they, what they're going to get. You never know. Right now, I mean, the other day I did a program and DEA was there and they were talking, you know, 40% of what they're finding on the streets right now, what they're confiscating, 40% is laced. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That, mm-hmm. is, I mean, that is Russian roulette with a bullet in every chamber. And we can't, you know, there are kids that, you know, are 13 years old and they make a mistake, one time mistake. And they die and we, we have to do something about it. We have to, we don't have a choice at this point. We have to do something about it. And I was at your event. We were at, at uh, a screening of your new uh, documentary called Just Once. And the DEA was there. I heard him speak and we had um, um, our uh, director of community, community engagement, Becky Tinney was there as well. And it was very interesting and very alarming, you know, what they were talking about on the panel. But your documentary was very moving. Um, You could, I'm sitting out um, in the audience and you could hear a pin drop. Everybody was just completely focused on the documentary and what what the families uh, that were profiled 
their stories. It was very, very compelling. Um, tell us about the documentary, how you happened to do that. I know you have one uh, documentary before this called Not Me, which right. I have seen. And now this one is Just Once. Um, tell us about the documentary and how our listeners might be able to, to see that at some point. Okay. So we decided to do a we decided to do a documentary for education. You know, kids will listen, they'll watch TV. <laughs> they won't listen to you talk, but they'll watch TV. So we decided to do this documentary. So we went to a production company and we had $10,000. And um, I said, this is what we want to do. We want to interview some families. We want this. And he said, okay, this is a great idea. We're going to go ahead and put $10,000 worth of our work into this. So it's now 20000 And for 20000 you get about eight minutes. And I was like, whoa, okay. So we started filming. And what we did was we grabbed four parents and then four youth. And then just kind of talked about the journey that they went on. And we ended up with 26 hours of film. Wow. 26 hours. Yeah, it was pretty big. And so they were scrambling. There was no six to eight minutes. They were trying to do everything they could to get it to like 45 minutes. And on um, International Overdose Awareness Day, August 31st of 2014, we came out with Not Me. And everybody thought it was such a great film. So we wanted to make it better. We had no B-roll in it. It was just the film. And so we went back and we remade it for film festival. And that was not me too. Um, we won one award, didn't sell it. So that just kind of sat there. And then a, about a, a year ago, I worked with a video company and what they did was they took that 90 minutes and we crunched it down to 45 so that it could be seen in schools and churches and things. We got rid of mm -hmm. a lot of language and drug use and just kind of made it a better film. And so that's what we have now. And um, we're going to run with that for a couple of years. And we're already thinking ahead for what could the next documentary be? Because we use it for so many things. We use it for school education. We use it for court education. We use it for community education. And it opens up. My big thing is bring your kids. Let's watch this film. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It may make you cry, but it's real. And then get in the car and open up a conversation with your family because that's what we need to do. And families don't know how to discuss drugs because they don't really know about drugs. But if we don't teach our kids about drugs, their peers will. And that message is going to be totally different. Exactly. That's yeah. right. They listen to their peers. And do their peers have the right information? No, they don't. Right. And who are the peers? Who are the peers? Yeah, right. Who are the peers? Brett's peers were not good peers. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So I know that the Prevention Resource Center and, and our um, sponsoring agency, Recovery Resource Council, I know that we are going to participate in, in hosting some screenings of the documentary. So we're looking forward to that. Are there any other upcoming events or programs that our listeners need to hear about? You mentioned some support groups. Um, maybe that's something you want to talk about? We have a parent support group every Tuesday and we kind of treat it. We go in with a topic. Um, tonight's topic is going to be language. And we're going to kind of talk about, you know, our language, the difference between, you know, he had a dirty UA versus he tested positive on his UA. Those kind of language. And just even when you have a substance user in the house, how the language comes out. Because trust me, my language was not very good to Brett when he was mm -hmm. making us crazy. So, you know, can we control that language? How do we, how do we, 
use it to the best of everybody's ability so that we're not we're not pushing them farther into stigma and shame. So we're going to talk about that. Now, if somebody walks into our meeting tonight and is just overwhelmed, maybe it's the first time they've come or they're completely overwhelmed with something that happened this week, we will drop that topic completely and just talk about what their issues are because that's what we are. We're a family. Mm -hmm. um, we started this support group and there's people that have been coming there for years. Their kids are doing well, but it's we're a family and we support each other. And then when things get bad, I mean, we're there for each other. Um, I just, I was just telling a friend um, that we carry our families across the board. So like I've had families in, in my group for years and then all of a sudden their child may die. We pick them up. We don't just like, okay, you're out of this group. We stand behind them, hold them up during all of that process. We make sure they're okay. We do the funerals, we attend funerals, we attend visitations. And then we make sure they're okay afterwards. They're getting the counseling and the grief counseling that they need. And we're still there. We're a family. And that's what makes us unique. That's wonderful. And I have heard, um, I knew a family that had been coming to one of the meetings and they were so appreciative of that family atmosphere and that support that they were, they were um, getting from it. So if people need to know about the events and these meetings, these support groups, um, they can go to your website. Can you tell us what the website address is? Yes, it's www.wtf-winningthefight.org. And we also have a really good Facebook, and you can find it on Facebook. It's Winning the Fight with WTF in the parentheses. Um, our Facebook probably picks up more of our events than the website, but that's my fault. Me bad. Um, I've been to the website, and, and of course, I follow you on, on Facebook, so I am uh, well aware of how your outreach um, that is coming through Facebook and and um, and your website is great. Lots and lots of resources there. So I want to really thank you for being with us today and uh, telling us about winning the fight and hearing your story. Um, I urge our listeners to go to your website, go to Kathy's website and look to see how uh, winning the fight may be able to help you and your family. So thank you, Kathy. We will meet again soon. Thank you so much for having me on. And that's Prevent That for this month. I'm Victoria Moreno, and because our prevention messaging does not stop when the podcast ends, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at PRC Region 3, and there you will find more helpful information for your friends and family. See you next month.